and welcome. You are listening to Who We Are Online, a special podcast brought to you from the 2024 Winter Podcasting Institute by the National Humanities Center. In this first and final episode of Who We Are Online, we will be discussing identities, the internet, and how they inform each other. My name is Sarah. I'm a third year PhD student in historical musicology and music theory. My work looks at the ways people utilize 19th century ballet and romantic music to escape late stage capitalism through curated soundscapes and whimsical aesthetics. I am here with my fellow humanists, Brooke, Kay Marie, and Amy. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, everyone. My name is Brooke. I'm a fifth-year PhD candidate at the University of Maryland outside of D.C., and my work specifically is in the broader subject study of communication studies, but I specialize in looking at digital media platforms and how young people use those platforms to not only express their identities, but come to understand their own political ideologies. Hi, everyone. My name is Kay Marie Tejeda. I am a third-year PhD student in the religion department at Boston University. Uh, My track is religions in American society, and my my work focuses on uh, the religions of the African diaspora in the Dominican Republic and its diaspora as well in the United States. Hi, my name is Amy, and I'm a fourth-year PhD student at Penn State, studying comparative literature and African studies. Uh, My work focuses on how young people are engaging with the idea of adulthood or adulting, broadly speaking, how they want to transition from being a young person into an adult and what that means. Wonderful. So the four of us spend a lot of time studying people, communities, and trends online in myriads of different ways, and we thought that maybe it would be time for us to look inward at our own identities and relationships to the internet. So, did you guys all grow up online? And what are some of your early internet touchstones? For me, there's a mix of uh, growing and not growing online. Like, for example, I was born in the Dominican Republic, and when um, when in the United States the internet was already in boom, like that was like when it was starting over there. So I got to see how MySpace, Facebook developed, and um, it was part of my life, but not as maybe in the United States like the same generation would have access to. Yeah, I definitely grew up, I'm probably one of those generations in the U.S. that does remember a time before the internet or remembers the time when you would get the internet on a CD, right? The AOL CD would come to your house and it had minutes on it, like a minute card for calling. And you couldn't use the internet the same time as like your mother was on the phone. So there was a lot of trying to negotiate with your family about when people could be on the internet in the house. So I grew up with it. You know, we had the internet probably by the time I hit middle school where it was more readily accessible. I definitely saw social media grow alongside with me. Uh, LiveJournal, MySpace, Neopets, for anyone who remembers that weird (laughs) copy... 
that weird yes exactly right that like capitalist flash game fugue state of social being that uh definitely took over way too much of my middle school brain space uh so those are just some things that i remember growing up with as i was younger with the internet well for me i also grew up both um, online and offline i actually remember when the internet was growing in my country and i went to boarding school and i remember sneaking out to go and sign up for a facebook account and because it was so new we just stayed it was an internet cafe, so we just stayed there and just played around with Facebook, emailing people, tapping people. I don't know if you remember the tap feature that was there back then. And of course, I went back to school. I was in trouble, but I always remember that I was in trouble because <laughs> I was out there setting up an internet a Facebook account on an internet cafe somewhere yeah. in like Kenya. My, my experience with the internet, I think I did grow up online. Um I am right in between being a millennial and a Gen Z, and my family grew up in rural North Carolina, so I definitely experienced the dial-up, the CD, when it came from, um, when it came to being at my grandparents' house and getting bored and wanting to play, like, something online, um... And I think, for me, one of my main touchstones is actually Tumblr, um, and I feel like it in definitely is a motivating factor behind my interest in studying like people's micro aesthetics because the number of tumblr sites you would come across that were just like all of these beautiful outfits of the day and then you would go and it would be some person who's like goth and it's like wow there's so many options you can be as a human um and that's yeah kind of always stuck with me uh, and I guess that's a good segue into talking about why we decided to study identities in particular. Um, yeah, I guess I just said mine. So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. Let's see. Um, Tay Marie, yeah. How did you come across the kind of identities that you study? Well, uh, something that I have noticed, like in the, in that thing of the negotiating identity within the field I am studying, is that uh, it involves a lot of uh, secrecy, and um, it depends on the generation. For example, uh, people like as I said, I studied religions of African origins in the Dominican Republic and its diaspora. And for example, people from an older generation, like people who are now 40s and 50s, their online presence might be more um, in secret. Like people, like the their profiles online, you could see like they have more restriction, like just people who are invited to it, they can access and things like that. And then, but the younger generation have more access to it. Like there's some celebrities brujas online that I have seen that's being like so uh, disturbing how within the same tradition uh, like people negotiate their identities online and the, the way that they portray themselves so I find that very interesting uh, generational wise and also uh, 
regarding to the the tradition itself because that's i don't know how familiar you are with religion of african origins but like secrecy is a very important thing like not everybody should have access to these secret knowledges and these things so seeing how the new generation the younger generation kind of don't don't negotiate secrecy in the same way for me is fascinating Yeah, it's actually really interesting that you mentioned there's a bit of a generational gap and that young people seem to care less about secrecy. Part of what I work with specifically is looking at how young people take platforms that would be considered unlikely platforms. So, for example, the uh, Palestine solidarity protests that are happening in Roblox right now. Right. Roblox is a really popular Uh, video game platform typically trending towards a much younger age demographic so the average age demographic of a site like roblox would be probably somewhere between 12 to like 14 would be the dominant demographic and so people have been really surprised that there's been that kind of political demonstration there and that it is so public and that young people you know are really excited to be public with some of this expression of political solidarity even at such a young age and part of what i study has been and that's actually a trend that's been going on for a while Specifically with young people, I think there's this sense that privacy is dead. Um, There is no such thing as having a private life in that if your life isn't somehow captured in social media, you don't necessarily have a life, which I think has lots of uh, other social ramifications that can be very negative for young people. But specifically what I'm looking at in a lot of my work is how people take these communities that may be a bit more niche or maybe a bit more private, right? So like their private server on Roblox, their private server on Minecraft, um, their private island in Animal Crossing, and then turn that into a space for political solidarity and then make an intentional pivot to make it public for whatever reason. And I work with those people on what their reasoning is for that. And for a lot of the groups that I work with, part of the visibility aspect is part of the politic, right? So you do the organizing in private, but then the demonstration has to be public. Uh, And that's sort of how they are negotiating that space right now with their identity and their privacy and publicity. Yeah. And I think, Amy, your research also has to do a bit with uh, groups deciding when they go public and making political stances, but in a very different way. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, my approach towards identity stems from the idea that being an adult is a series of performances and doing a lot of things. So it's, you know, it's getting a job, buying a house getting married, having the kids, like once you attain these social statuses, you you become an adult. And so where I come from, since the unemployment rate is very high and getting earning a living is a very big aspect of being considered an adult. And if that is impossible, it begs the question that am I an adult? Am I still a young person? Am I an adolescent? What am I? So when I study people who are online, especially young people, they're redefining what it means to be an adult. They're finding new ways of earning a living through TikTok and Instagram. And they're asking us questions like, you know, can you retire off of making videos online? You can make a lot of money, but is it, can you make enough that you can retire? What does that mean once you leave the online space? And does that mean you're settled into adulthood? And now we have to consider that being an adult also means living or having an identity that is online 
and what does that mean how does that look like people are exploring ways of different ways of parenting and exploring their past traumas so it's a lot of unlearning and investigating and a lot of poking holes at ideas that we thought were set in society that would establish that this is how you become an adult and young people are saying well not quite it's a new generation things are not how they used to be back then i can't buy a house at 24 <laughs> and get married at 21 uh, 54 like, or, at this rate yeah <laughs> it's like someone was like i'm 40 i don't have a job or like i, I work part-time online but i'm still an adult i don't have a house i'm all these things but if the older generation says i'm not an adult because i don't have them what am i supposed to do I see myself as an as an adult. So the online space is a way for younger people, however defined, to explore a lot of issues. And for me, that means exploring what adulthood means for them. Yes, and I'm thinking that it is very complicated too because you see yourself in a way, but then older people see you in another way just because you don't have material things. So it's it's complex. Exactly. And, and before you are a younger generation that are looking up to you <laughs> and if yeah. you're trying to figure out, well, what is that what I'm supposed to grow up and become like a TikTok personality? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> is that a career path? Yes. <laughs> Can yeah. I write that that's what I want to be when I grow up? It's like a whole changing dynamic these days. Yeah. And so many of them do. I feel like I have nephews and a niece and they they're growing up in a time where like being a YouTuber is like a career path that many yeah. people actually <laughs> aspire yeah. to, which is amazing. And it like yep. shows how important the internet and art and identity is in our everyday lives. But it also is so dramatically different than when we were growing up. And I'm wondering if you guys find yourself defining identity against the internet or against these kinds of communities that we um, are researching? Like, what does it mean to be an adult for you guys? Well, f well, for me, I don't define my identity by online, like the way like the majority of like people might define it. Like I'm thinking, it's just, I'm thinking what you're saying, like regarding to like the YouTube being a career or like even just being an influencer, like it's just a career path. Like, I don't think my identity depends on how I portray myself online because also if you see whatever you see online it's in a sense is a fake reality it's like an alternative alternative reality that you're living in so in fact personally I don't publish that much online I just have it to have connection with people who I know who live from in another country around the world so but i do see that the younger generation needs so much and when like the the portrayed like a this fake identity online in order for them to find meaning for themselves you know like and that's something i see it but in my case it personally i don't negotiate my identity based on whatever i do online for me, it's a delicate balance. Sorry, bro. Nope, go for <laughs> um, it. It's a delicate balance because I'm quickly learning that um, what is seen on social media is not necessarily 
fake because people are also drawn to what would call authenticity or like people who are just themselves who just um, maybe record themselves doing daily life and don't quite care maybe about how they look or what they're doing per se so it's a, it's somewhat of a difficult balance to say or ask is this the real person what am i doing watching them um is this also my identity like have i based my identity off of being a person who watches people online all the time on my phone scrolling what do you know liking pictures is that part of me when you go offline is when you actually get to question yourself on such things because now you don't have your phone and you're wondering okay what do i do with my time does that define me it's a it's just a lot of questions but i can't stop thinking about the fake versus authentic aspect of it a lot there's just a lot of arguments on both sides about it it's one of the things to tie into that that i actually have spent a lot of time processing with my students where i don't know that I love the idea of fake versus authentic. Typically, the way I describe it in my work is this idea of curated, because it's not that the person that you are online is not who you are, but usually it's like a highlight reel, right? It's the thing people can understand in 140 characters, or it's the most salient parts of your identity, right? Because we're all multiple identities bound into one person. But typically, most people try to distill that down to two or three kind of key identifying aspects online because either that's how they make connection or if they are an influencer, that's like what sells. And so I know even for me as someone who participated as a content creator on Twitch for some of my ethnographic research, there were certain parts of my identity that I really tried to not highlight, but... Those are the things I was going to bring to the forefront, right? Like I was an educator, I was doing this for charity, and I was doing this to start conversations about social issues. I also enjoy video games and I'm very competitive, but that wasn't the personality aspects that I was trying to lean into in my content because even though those are true things about me, that wasn't what I was gearing the content around. So I, I, I use the term curated more often because of that, because it's usually a strategic, it's almost like strategic essentialism is honestly yeah. what it feels like sometimes really, right? From Spivak, it has that sense to it, especially when you're talking about people who would um, consider themselves part of like historically marginalized or historically underrepresented or undersupported and underserved communities online. I think a lot of that type of curation plays into how they exist in those spaces as well. Yeah. I, I also really like the idea of curation as a kind of way to escape an authenticity fakeness binary, um, particularly because some of the most interesting parts some of the most interesting parts of my research um, are related to when creators pull the curtains back and they kind of show like, yes, I have this little aesthetic space. I make my own bread, but also here is a vlog demonstrating the number of hours that I have to do like X, Y, and Z in order to have my little hobbit hole. Or here is a breakdown of how I edit my videos. So you can also have this particular aesthetic when you're creating content. Um, And I guess inside of that too is a distinction between branding for commercial sake or like uh, branding yourself 
as an influencer or as a commodity online, I guess. And then people who brand themselves or curate themselves because that is their corner of the world that they do have control over. Um, and I think kind of because of that, I don't know what an adult is anymore. Um, I went from, yeah, having this, like, being a little kid and being like, wow, an adult does X, Y, and Z. And now I am an adult and I don't have a house. And my, I'm not a huge poster online, but when I do post, it is certainly a curated highlight reel of my plants or my cat. And like, are those little sections what creates the figure of an adult that other people see or that I think of and yeah it kind of throws these conventional understandings of place and roles throughout your life into like a crazy flux which I kind of think is I don't know is beautiful <laughs> but <laughs> that's I don't know yeah um and kind of on that note do you guys feel like there are niches that you work with online, like your online communities that you do research with? Um, Kay Marie mentioned uh, brujas and the kind of generational difference between people being very public and people being very private. And Amy and Brooke, you guys have both kind of presented these different sides of generations that are interested in one or two specific things and that's kind of how they meet online um i was just wondering if you guys could talk a bit about these potential niches that you find yourselves being drawn to yeah i mean i can at least say for me mine was definitely heavily informed by the pandemic i knew i was going to be doing something with like digital political expression my work in my master's program had been more about organizing online and and what happens when what is organized online becomes physical so i was looking at like the different um uh women's marches and things like that post 2016 but then the pandemic happened and 2020 was a pretty volatile year in u.s political culture for a whole myriad of reasons and because everyone was still in lockdown, though, we were seeing a lot of people start paying attention to online spaces in like popular media and being like, oh, isn't this just so funny that like people would protest at Animal Crossing? And I was sitting there saying people have been doing this for a while. And it's actually a really important way that I find my students in particular are learning about their politics because they're not watching CNN. They're not watching you know, 24-hour news channels gives them anxiety. They're not reading the Washington Post. It gives them anxiety. Same. Uh, but they're finding it in these other spaces. And so that's where I really started doing my research because uh, people were treating it like it was this sort of anathema of COVID. And I was saying, like, actually, this is something that people have been doing for a while because the platforms help people take some sort of customizable ownership over it in ways that I think just reading something or watching something doesn't allow uh, people to do with their identity. So I sort of fell into it because of COVID. And I also had to come up with a dissertation topic and you got to pick something and go. And here I am like three years later and it's written. So that's sort of how I ended up into it. For me also, it started in the pandemic as well, but I didn't have the, that specific topic. Like I started with 
the Holy Spirit and spirits and how people interacted with it. So during the pandemic, I was kind of asking, like, how do people like now, how do people negotiate that relationship between the Holy Spirit, which is very something that usually happens in groups and things like that. And um, with uh, this idea of that everything was online. So I also have friends who practice uh, brujeria and I saw and I follow one online that she, um, everything she did it online. Like I was seeing how she gave like talks about it and she was doing like reading cards and she used medias in different ways, even like WhatsApp. Like if a person pays her X, Y, Z for her services, she can give you a reading through <laughs> either for the Instagrams, uh, DMs or things like that. So when I got to apply to the program and everything like that, I said, well, like in my community, that's not something that is so much research about because of all the mystery behind it and all the 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 bad things like the prejudices against uh, the, the, such practices so one of also like as Brooke said <laughs> you have to have a topic I mine ha, is not um, as reduced yet for dissertation purposes because I'm still doing coursework and things like that but um the pandemic was a big factor. Also, the need in the Dominican uh, community of such research. And also because I, uh, as I said one time when we were talking outside of this podcast, like I want people to feel proud of their their um, African um, influences in the culture. So that's another thing. And I got online because it's something modern. It's something like I'm interested in. And yes. It's kind of like a summary. That's interesting because for me, it stemmed from going back home after my master's with high expectations of getting a job and then being hit with like, hey, you're not any more special than the hundreds of thousands of unemployed youth. Yeah. And yeah. getting Oof. to terms with that, like, okay, Marie, I was up in the religion sphere praying to God for a job. Like my, p- <laughs> I know I had like relatives who had maybe yeah. gone to witch doctors and stuff like to just like try and help me secure a job. I did everything. And Pray to whoever is exactly. listening. That's the, the job yes. market. And, any and everyone. <laughs> and meanwhile, all you have is your phone and social media. And now I'm, I was just, you know, watching my friends and I'm seeing all these identities being performed online you know maybe you know somebody in real life and they're not you know maybe they're not all that but then online they portray this image of like wow everything's going great my life is perfect which got me thinking about huh how are people performing adulthood because i'm here i don't have a job i'm living with my mom i have a master's (laughs) but i don't have a job and online i see somebody who maybe realized earlier on that you know the papers the papers won't get them far so they were like okay let me make comedic skits and like you know in two or three years suddenly you see them getting brand endorsements and this deal and that deal and it gets you thinking like huh on the adulthood scale they've really progressed through it and it makes you question what am i doing and so i came to grad school without any idea of what I was studying until my this, my advisor was like, you know what, let's shut everything down. What are you interested in? Let's leave like the academic style stuff 
side and just figure that out because you won't write your dissertation if you're not interested in it at least so uh, i just started talking to her about my life and she was like you know you should write about that and i was like actually i should do that it's a big part of me and it's it's actually affected how i view life now i don't just go through it expecting you know get to this stage and then you've accomplished this and then you're this person it doesn't work out that way you take corners and curves and sometimes you don't even get to that point and it's okay we just try and figure it out so it's this aspect of thinking that you know adulthood is just figuring things out nobody has got it like down to a t where you're like yeah look at that person that's adulting i mean some people are like that but (laughs) it's the questioning of am i doing it what if I don't? Will I still be okay? It's yeah. that question. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it kind of reminds me a bit earlier we were talking about how our ages, when we were first kind of connecting to the internet, we were in, and we still are, you know, in these middle stages where the adults in our lives were like, "I don't get it," and then the children in our lives are like looking up to us and seeing MySpaces and AOL chats and like all of these things that we were up to and thinking, "I want to do that." And I know that we talked a little bit before about the idea of growing old online rather than growing up, and I was wondering too. Um, how that might look in some of your communities and if it shows up at all even because this idea of like being an adult is figuring things out I think that's the right definition of what an adult is on and offline but then I feel like part of growing old quote-unquote online is realizing that that is not what the youth want to hear and that is not what the youth want to (laughs) see So, and I know that Brooke and Amy, um, you guys have had experience teaching. Kimberly, I know you're still in coursework, but I'm sure you've been a chaplain in um, at Boston for a while. So, like, I'm wondering what you guys have noticed when it comes to maybe talking about the internet offline with people who are younger than us and very much on the internet. The youth will always let you know that you are old. Yep. That's the, the first thing. They, I think they secretly delight in it, and I let them revel in it. I actually have a, a part of most of my courses that I teach where I ask my students to teach me slang or or things, the phrases they use regularly that they think I don't know. And they are correct. I usually don't know them. And I, I always learn something new every semester. Uh, because I do think the way that online trends work and online spaces tend to work, they gravitate towards the demographic and they sort of naturally become self-selecting in certain ways. So I don't know a lot of folks who are over the age of 40 with a TikTok unless they are a content creator on TikTok. Uh, but a lot of people I know who like recreationally consume TikTok are under the age of 40. And even some of my younger students now would tell you that TikTok is sort of over. It's now all about be real, which plays into this idea of like TikTok is where you go for stylized, like comedic or intentionally curated content. Be real is where you have your most authentic self, right? And wow. so there's, I always feel like there's a new 
platform that's always trying to tell whatever that like youngest online generation is oh we're the place for the real conversation you don't want to hang out with those old folks with those decrepit millennials (laughs) like let's you know um i don't know if anyone remembers like the visco girl trend that was a that was a platform that came and went very quickly but that's just very archetypal of this idea that like instagram's too old so we're gonna come up with something new but i think the the flip side of that right where you always have all these platforms trying to solicit business from younger people is that because the younger people generally one um will eventually age up but two consume a new platform but keep the old platform some of these older platforms like instagram for example have a lot of extended staying power because they're always adding so there's this interesting dynamic where some platforms feel very exclusively for young people and then some platforms are like especially because i study how people use these different platforms some of them have these little pockets or bubbles that are sort of allocated on age and when those bubbles cross over you're sitting there like, I don't understand this meme. I had I just had to do a lot of Googling to understand what is happening here. Um, and I think that, that goes apart from age, but that's just some of the ways that I see, quote unquote, getting old online playing out in my work. I feel like, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but the baby Gronk um, meme, which is like a child of a football player or something. That was the first meme that happened. And I said, what in the world is happening? I still don't know. I tried to Google it. It was completely, I could not break through the, the youthful culture in order to understand what the meme went. A new one is skibbity, but I do know what that means. Maybe. Are you guys familiar with this? (laughs) I am, I am not. I am not. Riz was probably my most recent young people trend mm. that I had to have someone explain to me why we were rizzing yes. up folks. And then I was like, okay, we're here. Um, but no, skippity. It's just like, there's like a song and people will quote the song and nothing makes any sense. So you might see like the phrase like, my gat in Ohio. But it's just meant to be kind of like nonsensical or like absurd. And I think... One of the things that I do love about getting older on the internet, I love absurdity. Like, that is kind of the basis of everything that I research and do, is, like, what is the most ridiculous, um, like, uncrackable thing, and why is that an appealing thing for people? Um... So it was very it was very traumatizing, I would say, to have a meme that I didn't immediately know what was going on. And I know as the zoomer of the bunch, um, I just wanted you guys to know I, I know what it's like. <laughs> I feel like these days you can't even mention Facebook anywhere. Like when I whenever I catch myself saying Facebook, I feel like I'm being judged by like the younger generation. Like I'll have to scroll like privately if I'm on a bus or something, so they don't see that it's actually Facebook. <laughs> so I always say maybe like Twitter or Instagram is the medium in ambiguous space where they can't quite figure out what age or what generation I'm in. But I'm just realizing now that ah, I might be quite old because I did not know about Be Real. Like I thought TikTok was still like everything and it seems people have moved on already. But it also makes me feel good that Still, platforms such as Facebook and Instagram are still around while these others are like coming and going or we still don't quite know 
um, how long they'll be, how long they'll stay, what they'll do. But it's quite interesting trying to, I feel like we're like a middle generation as millennials or even younger millennials where, you know, you kind of know what the newer trends are, but you also are attached to the older trends. Well, now there's a younger generation that doesn't even know, like, you know, dial-up phone or what you had to do back then to, like, call somebody. And now your older folks who are like, why are you spending so much time online? I don't get it. Like, what's there? What are you looking at? They don't understand it. So it's, we are, we are that, like that middle generation where you have to consider, oh, am I old? Am I young? Don't quite know, but okay, I'll just write it out see how it goes and even like simple words like for example when i refer to a presentation usually i say a powerpoint so when you say a powerpoint that means that you have to be 30 or something close to 30 because kids now they just call it like oh no a presentation and that's it but before people just say powerpoint you know like even a word like that can be a like it's it's showing that there's a gap between even the language that you use with the new generation. And it just, you, you remind me of that when you were talking about the course and everything. Last semester I had to teach because at BU we have to teach after the first year uh, in the program. Yes, in the second. No, it's okay. But I noticed that like even things like sometimes it takes me a little longer to think about like just the kids just tell you oh no but we can do this and i oh okay that that's okay like yes so they give you also an as brooke said like every time that they're looking for that opportunity to let you know that you're old (laughs) nobody does that anymore what is that (laughs) i feel like the four of us have relatively young faces i would say so i think they get an extra kick when they don't know how old the TF or the professor actually is. And then they realized like, oh, you were born in the olden times. Yeah. The late 1900s. Get Lowe's one of your party songs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Get Lowe's one of your party songs. I'm dead. Yeah. When you're old enough that they're all like, oh yeah, denim is so in right now. And I love my boyfriend jeans. And I was like, welcome back to the nineties. We also, we also yep. thought it was very cool. So glad to see that you also enjoy it. They're like, mm, look at my neon. I'm like, okay, so have you heard of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Like we're all, it's all cyclical, baby. Yeah, and I think as we kind of wrap up, um, we had this kind of question that we wanted to close with, which echoes the idea of our podcast, which is who are you online? And it's something that we've kind of bounced back and forth a lot already. So I'm just going to, I guess our closing question, if you were not researching the online communities that you do would do you think you would be a member of those online communities either now in the ages that we currently are or as youths that's an easy question for me because i study influencers if i could be one if i had the body parts and the guts just those two aspects (laughs) i would be on tiktok shaking everything and getting all the money because life is expensive <laughs> and I don't want to be poor. I am the millennial with who's everything like, paid. In reality, I am tired of being poor. So if that got me money and I could keep some form of like my dignity and, you know, 
<laughs> yes, I would I would do it because I'm seeing how much money they're getting. I want to fly. I want hashtag Santorini, hashtag Dubai. I oh want that my life. Gosh. Like I don't <laughs> I would do that. Like I think Manor maybe ways. that's why I'm secretly I'm studying them so that I could secretly like live out my, a different life. Yeah, like I'm like, "Oh my god. I wish that was me." Like how do I get so there? True. And then I re- quickly realize, "Oh, I don't have the guts to do that or I'm too shy or something." No, I feel like one day we're all gonna we're all gonna get on Instagram and we're gonna see a very familiar face as yep. an Instagram yep. influencer. Yep. Hashtag Dubai. Be, yes, <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Yes, hashtag Dubai. Yeah, I think for me, yes, just because I very naturally came into the community that I started researching because it was what was happening in my my sphere of influence already, and I was like, oh, has anyone actually? really studied this and the answer was no and I was like cool uh and so that's how I got into it it was already happening in my area as far as like the content creation thing having done it now as part of auto ethnography I don't know that I would ever want to do it like complete flip side for me because a lot of what I ended up researching and and after having all sorts of interviews and conversations with a lot of content creators is that it is in a lot of ways a really predatory system on most platforms for people to become content creators and the amount of money that like tiktok would make off of you shaking your booty versus you is astronomical and it's really interesting to see as other groups try to compete with each other youtube has recently just like revised its monetization to try to make it better for content creators but you have to really produce a lot of content and you have to have a lot of people buy into your content to make like a genuine living off of it so for me uh, as someone who did content creation more as a researcher and then stopped i'm like relieved that i stopped so i still consume it but i'm i'm very grateful to not be a part of that community anymore i was like bye i'm good wrote the wrote the papers got the published article i'm out (laughs) um so at least that's my experience my bubble isn't burst yet so i'll just keep hoping (laughs) <laughs> that it'll work out but for me i don't know if i'll be, be will be part because uh sometimes the practices uh i don't like there's some there is some part of the religious aspect of the of the of the traditions of dominican voodoo dominican brujeria that i don't feel comfortable with you know like there's some aspects of it that i just saying i don't know if this is for me you know like when i'm ethnographically doing field work like i'm just don't feel like i will feel comfortable with uh but at the same time it's i would say like there's a lot of within the dominican culture that we do or, or we think or you know or we believe that is attached to it that we cannot disconnect it for example like a person, a random person who is a faithful Christian, you can have in the, at their house, like in the back of the of the door of the entrance, like a cross, and that's like, and it can be made of uh, a type of um, a, a plant that they do there, and that's usually used in in brujeria. So, like you know, but they use it for protection, and it doesn't mean they're doing any work. So. I'm like in and out of it because in my culture, we have a lot of things that we use regarding like it's just cultural 
and their other like but there are other parts of it that I would never feel comfortable with do you think in in the spaces that you do research do you feel like people do that kind of picking up what they do like and leaving what they aren't comfortable with or that doesn't really settle well with them well, what I've seen is the people who really, really practice it, they're willing to do a lot of things. Like, I've seen a lot of, like, um, they do, like, rituals that could or not involve animals. Uh-huh. So <laughs> that is the part, like, because of the censure, they might not sacrifice an animal online, you know, but but they can tell you like the recipes for the rituals that you should do or not do, you know? So there's things that are still done publicly, but there are others that are still, although they, as I said, that they're very online and everything, but um, at the same time, there's a little part of it that's still done in private. It's private, yes. So I think there will be things that they would never do online. You know, because it would be more misunderstanding of the practices and then it would be more, you know, persecution of things like that, of the things they do. that makes sense, yeah. On the complete opposite side of nothing, like, from the actual material conditions that would keep you from potentially buying all the way into your community, I feel like I'm kind of doing this autoethnography with my pending dissertation topic uh, my prospectus and things are due this semester, but like, I quite literally fell onto the topic of like escaping capitalism through like fancy boy music because I did it, and then I went online and I was like looking at a playlist and I saw all of these children or adults, I don't know, writing like self insert fan fiction, and it's like if I'm thinking to myself, what is the online community that I'm interested in? It's cottagecore TikToks. It's like black girls having their apothecaries. And yes, with that still realm of privacy, because if they are brujeria, like there, there are things that must be prepared and done. But it's, yeah, it's really interesting. I did not think about how different, the different ways in which our research is, deal with material world versus completely digital uh, community and understandings of each other. But I had so much fun talking with you all. And yeah, uh, do we have any last comments? Do we want to plug anything? I don't know. Um, do uh, Amy, do you have um, a TikTok or an Instagram that is influencer ready? Are you... <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't. I'm. I just follow people and just live vicariously through them. Like, but one day, okay. one day, just master my face. One day, if you see it like on your feed, somebody who looks like me will resurrect the one time. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> yep. We will. Yeah. I mean, I'll just also express gratitude. It was really lovely getting to work with you all, getting to know your work. And it was fun to go on this little experiment of podcast creation together. So thanks for everyone's time. Thank you. We had fun. This has been Who We Are Online, a podcast connecting the research interests of the NHC 2024 Winter Podcasting Cohort Number 2. Amy, Brooke, K. Marie, and me, Sarah. 
Once more, we would like to thank the National Humanities Center and offer a special thanks to YouTube lo-fi artist Maso Beats for their song Lavender, which serves as both the intro and outro music for this podcast.